it's hard to trust a salesperson. We bought a car last year and the sales associate seemed to love every car on the lot. And he loved the expensive ones even more. So were all those cars actually great? Or was he just trying to make a sale? And was he flat out lying to us about how great these cars were? Or was he just biased? Because he's aligned with the Toyota family. We're often suspicious of each other's biases, and these concerns seem to have ramped up in the political sphere, especially related to how people view news media. In a recent Gallup survey, U.S. adults estimated that 62% of the news they read in newspapers, saw on television, or heard on the radio was biased. In fact, Elizabeth Jensen, public editor for NPR, wrote in 2017 that when they labeled the complaints that came in via email, bias was the label they used the most. She shared a few examples. It is clear, one listener wrote, that NPR's nationally syndicated shows, and in particular, Morning Edition, continue to push a conservative viewpoint. But another listener wrote, I am writing to see why, objectively, there is a clear anti-Trump, liberal-oriented bias against President Trump. Yet another listener concluded their email by saying, I can no longer listen to NPR because of its now blatant bias. Now, I'm not here to weigh in on whether a particular media source is actually biased or not, but it sure seems like people care a lot about each other's potential biases. So I'm curious, when do people come to perceive a communicator as biased? And does it change how much they believe the information itself? You're listening to Opinion Science, the show about the science of our opinions, where they come from, and how they change. I'm Andy Luttrell, and today I'm excited to talk to my friend Laura Wallace. She's a social psychologist currently finishing as a postdoctoral scholar at Ohio State University and about to start a new postdoc at George Mason University. We talked about how bias is different from trustworthiness and her research on the roles that these two perceptions play in persuasion. So if you want to just start by giving a background on on what do we know about source bias and what don't we know yet about source bias? Sure. Um, yeah, so a lot of my work looks at when we see other people as biased and what are the consequences when we see another person as biased. Um, and when I say source bias or seeing someone as biased, uh, I mean that people perceive that person as having some sort of slanted opinion, uh, usually because they're motivated to view things in a particular way. So you can think about grandparents being motivated to view their grandchildren positively. Uh, you can think about people with political biases uh, being motivated to view things consistently with their ideology. You could also Think about salespeople being motivated to view their product particularly favorably. The work we've done on perceived bias has shown that perceived bias is different from trustworthiness or expertise. So um, one thing I think is really interesting and important is that you can actually perceive someone as biased without necessarily thinking that they are dishonest or inexpert. It's just that they're viewing things a bit differently than uh, what you think the truth is. So uh, you can think about the grandparents example again, where 
Uh, we tend to think of grandparents as truthful. Um, they're certainly highly expert. They know a lot about their grandchildren. And yet, if you ask them, uh, how's little Johnny at soccer, you know that you're probably going to get a skewed view of Johnny's soccer performance. What's interesting about source bias is that sometimes when we see someone as biased, it can make them less persuasive, uh, but sometimes it can actually make them more persuasive. So um, most of the time, in fact, it probably makes them less persuasive, but in thinking about when it might make them more persuasive, it has to do with uh, when people switch positions. For example, you might think about um, with everything going on with coronavirus, you might think about uh, these airlines or these restaurants that are now having to close. Um, people who own those places might be motivated to view coronavirus as not a big deal um, because they might want to be able to keep their businesses open. So you might have view them as having a bias towards wanting to keep their businesses open around this time. So they might come out and say, uh, it's not that big a deal. We should be able to continue operating. However, if they switched and said, oh, coronavirus is very concerning, we should now be closing this restaurant, or we should not be having so many flights, that would be quite surprising, and it might, uh, make, might make them particularly persuasive on that new position, because they would only take that new position if it was uh, particularly persuasive. So I, I know that you've had trouble convincing the world about bias and trustworthiness being separate things. So this is a nice chance to like go on record and, and make the claim. So in yeah. that in that case there with uh, someone who switches their position, what is it about that that signals bias that doesn't necessarily have to do with trustworthiness? Right? Okay. Yeah. So um, what I'm actually talking about is rather than an inference of bias based on switching, I'm talking about if you have the perception ahead of time. So mm. a consequence of uh, perceived bias uh, versus perceived untrustworthiness. So if I initially think you're biased um, on the issue of coronavirus and initially you think it's not a big deal and I think you have some bias on that issue, but you switch, then I'm particularly persuaded. What you're getting at or what you're helping me point out is actually initially perceiving someone as untrustworthy in this context does not have that same consequence. So if I think you're a dishonest person, it doesn't matter if you switch positions because dishonest people switch positions all the time and it has nothing to do with whether there are good reasons for that position or not. But if a biased person switches, it could only be because there is particularly strong evidence for that new position. And so that's what people are, are, are thinking, that if they go, I already thought you were biased in favor of whatever position you were saying originally, and now you're saying something else, I'm inferring that there's like a really good reason for you to yep. have switched, right? And I, in some ways, I take that reason with more faith that you have a good reason to switch than I would have if you were, if I felt you were dishonest in the first place. Yep, I just that's exactly right. Is there, in that way, do you think that trustworthiness feels more like it's a trait? Like I'm, I'm 
picturing you as an untrustworthy person. And if I think you're untrustworthy now, you're probably always going to be untrustworthy. But if I think you're biased, it's specific to like this claim you're making. Yeah. So to some extent, there may be truth in that sort of on average that people think about trustworthiness as more of a trait-like feature and bias is more situation-specific. However, um, in other work we've done, we've shown that people, when they initially perceive someone as biased on one topic, can carry that perception over even to unrelated topics. So for example, uh, someone might say that they are pro uh, gun control, and then later we ask people if they think uh, they have a biased position on chocolate, and they say yes, if they thought the person was biased on the issue of gun control. Now, this only happens if we don't kind of remind them that those topics are kind of unrelated. Once we sort of remind people that gun control and chocolate don't have that much to do to each other, they don't carry the bias over. But without that reminder, they seem to. Um, so it does seem that at times people do form this kind of general impression of bias. Like you're just the kind of person who doesn't seem to need a lot of evidence for your positions. You're the kind of person who lets your motivations really color your perspective on things rather than trying to take a more objective kind of stance. And you may be able to think of somebody who you think uh, just always has a bit of a slanted view of things, like always is letting their motivations color their view more than other people who you might think um, are really trying to be reasoned and um, thoughtful and correct for their own biases. So in that way, when if I think of someone as a biased person, it's it's not necessarily that I'm thinking they're always being biased by the same motivation. It's just, I think they're the kind of person who lets their wants and needs color how they view the world. Yep, that's right. And you can even think about like, people probably vary in how much they try to correct for their own biases. So if I know that, uh, for example, if I had a liberal kind of bias, uh, I might be aware that that might make me more favorable to information that supported a liberal position than a conservative position. And when I encountered it, I might try to correct for a bias that I know I have, whereas other people may not be worried about trying to do that bias correction at all. I think so. Bias is one of those terms that when I talk about it with students, for example, I realize psychologists have a kind of baked into their bones what bias means, and we kind of throw it around and it totally communicates what we think we're talking about. But the, I think the general use of the term maybe isn't always consistent with that. So just kind of to unpack what bias is about and to see if, if we're on the same page. It's just kind of like I said before, if any goal I have or want or need I have is changing the way I view something. So probably most of the time you're talking about bias in terms of opinion bias, right? So if I'm hearing someone's opinion for me to perceive that person as biased is me saying, well, the reason they have that opinion is really about something else that this person wants out of the exchange. Is that? Yeah, what you just I, I would say that's similar to how I think about it. Um, the most straightforward, I think, way to think about it is that um, there is some 
truth value. There's some objectively correct thing. Um, and we all have some sense of what that is. And our own senses of whether that is correct may be inaccurate or not. But if I think, if I have an idea of what's true, and you say something that is very different from that, I'm likely to perceive you as biased because we're not agreeing on what I think the truth is. Um, so in some sense, if I think uh, the correct, um, if I think, you know, we could make it really concrete, like about distances, right? So if I think um, the length of the park that we're standing at is 10 feet and you think it's 15 feet, um, I will perceive you as biased towards viewing the park as too long. What's tricky is we don't often have truth values. We couldn't, we can't often go get a ruler and figure out what is the actual length of the park. Um, these are often matters of opinion. So we're sort of guessing based on what our own opinions are. And I think to some extent, um, we're also looking at how people weigh information. So if if I judge one study that supports my view more favorably and a study that doesn't support my view unfavorably, even if they have similar methodological flaws, I might think that person is um, biased. Even if I don't know what the truth is, I can see that they are not taking a fair approach to arriving at some conclusion. So how, how common do you think this these perceptions are? Like, are people constantly, anytime someone voices their opinion, they go, mm, is this a biased one or an unbiased one? Because in some ways, what, what you get to catch in a survey is when you directly ask people like, hey, think about what this person says. Does this seem biased or not? Is there any evidence we have or even just some inner feeling about whether this is something that people go around going, mm, bias, no bias, bias, no bias? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is sort of personal speculation, but my sense is there are some domains where bias is really common and we're kind of testing for it. So politics, I think it's quite common for people to perceive others as biased. Um, other interactions like going in to um, buy a car or other big items, we're probably testing to see whether a salesperson is biased. But um, especially if we're sort of going about with our friends who generally agree with us, we might be less likely to be sort of mentally testing whether our conversation partner is biased or not. And you talked to that by and large, bias gets in the way of persuasion, perceived bias gets in the way of persuasion. So you described a time where, sure, if I think you're biased, so long as you then change your mind, <laughs> then you're more persuasive. Yeah. But Typically, it seems like if I think you're biased, your message is going to carry less weight in changing my mind. Is that is that fair? Yep, that's exactly right. And so why? Is it just that people don't like bias? They want to punish you for being biased or they don't accept that what you're saying is valid or applies to them, right? If I don't have the same bias you do, so this doesn't speak to me specifically. What, what, what's going on? Yeah, so um, I don't think it has to do with liking. So we've shown that um, 
at least in some circumstances, perceiving others as biased doesn't necessarily affect how much you like them. So for example, uh, in one study that we've done, we told participants about um, uh, aid workers trying to figure out how to respond in the, um, at the start of an Ebola crisis. And we had one aid worker who um, had served in a particular has, had done his Peace Corps in a particular region and was then advocating to send resources to that region. People tended to see that aid worker as more biased than aid workers who did not have personal experience experiences with uh, particular regions that they were advocating get aid. Um, nevertheless, they liked all of the aid workers in equal amount. Um, but also that aid worker who had the experience in the region he was advocating for was less persuasive. Um, and I think that is because people are sort of saying, I don't think your opinion represents reality. So in that case, that aid worker's motivation to help this region that he has a personal connection to is making him view that uh region as needing more aid than it actually does. And so I think people are saying his perception is different from reality and I need to adjust um, for that person's opinion. So I'm trying to think of how, how do you take this and give a reassuring message to people who are advocates for things they care about, right? Like there's the, the, the times or the people who are really strong advocates for an issue are probably the ones who others would think are biased when it comes to that issue, right? And so those just seem inextricably linked. Is there a ray of hope for people? Like, I guess one idea I had was if you just say, listen, I may be biased, but I know there's some work on that in in prejudice. So if people say, listen, I know I have biases, we all have biases, even though that feels like it's um, doing good <laughs> and uh, enhancing some sense of trust, it can actually backfire. People go, oh, you do really have a bias. I'm not going to listen to you at all then. And so in your sense, from like a public advocacy perspective, would it help to admit to your biases or would it hurt to admit to your biases? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, it's something that we're testing right now. Um, so I don't have an empirical answer for you right now. Uh, but the hypothesis is that... Um, if people admit that they're biased, it might signal that they are trying to correct for it in their advocacy. And so that bias um, might not be such a problem if people are willing to admit it. Um, there are other things people can do to try to mitigate their perceived bias. Um, so one is acknowledging um, another side of the issue. So um, if you just give an advocacy for um, a position and you only present your side, you're more likely to be viewed as biased um, than if you acknowledge that um, there are some arguments for the other side as well. In, in the work that you've done on bias, the persuasive messages that you're showing people, do they tend to be ones that the audience already is amenable to or that they would that would challenge their views because there's part of that when you said admit the other side i think well if you're on my side 
I'm happy for you to be biased because I'm already all in. And for you to now start saying, well, maybe the other side has some, I go, no, now, now you're, now you're biased because now you're, you're caving to the other side. Um, so just kind of the bird's eye view of the research that you've done or that exists on perceived bias. Are we mostly talking about preaching to the choir effects or challenging people or talking about totally new stuff? Yeah. So there is a lot of work um, suggesting that people tend to see other people as biased when they disagree. Um, so that effect is certainly there um, and, and well established for many decades at this point. Um, the work that we've done has primarily used novel topics. Um, so topics for which people probably don't really have attitudes. So in the study I was talking about with the Ebola outbreak, that was a novel situation where people wouldn't have had attitudes about how to allocate aid um, prior to coming into the study. We've used other topics like um, university policies of various sorts that people wouldn't come into the study um, with having opinions on those things. I think it's a really important question to um, try to understand more about how does how does perceived bias of the source uh, play a role when people are coming into the study with um, previously held attitudes and either really strongly agree with the source or really strongly disagree with the source. But we don't have data on that right now. So that's a really important open question. Because you mentioned political domains before as being a place in which these these perceptions of bias can be pretty rampant, but those are so juiced up with prior opinions that people are coming into it. You're either with me or you're against me. Um, and, yes. and so I guess maybe you could speak too to like in the wild, surely there, this is all over the place, these perceptions of bias. And as you've been doing this research, have you become more aware of accusations of bias? in the world? Well, I do have a Google alert for biased. <laughs> so I yeah. get lots of updates in my uh, inbox of uh, anytime someone perceives another person as biased, which it turns out is a lot. So yeah, I think it's made me aware of, um, I think it's made me more aware that this is quite common. Although I also got interested in studying this because I thought these perceptions would be quite common. Related to the political domain, there is some work suggesting that, you know, if we think about it, politics as a domain that's often moralized, there is some evidence suggesting that people are particularly likely to view others that disagree with them as biased when they see the issue as a moral one. Um, so if politics is a domain that people think of as particularly morally relevant, that could be one reason why perceptions of bias are so rampant in that domain. What is it about morality that inspires bias? If you, we can be Coke, Pepsi, or Coke people and Pepsi people, and I could still think you're biased if you buy Pepsi instead of Coke. What is it if I moralize it? If that's like a part of my moral identity, why am I more attentive to your bias? Yeah, I think it may have to do with the idea that bias is really about like, are we seeing the world the same? And if I think this is a moral issue, things just become much more black and white. And the degrees of what is correct and not correct are just are, are sort of narrowed in some sense. And so if you disagree with me on an issue that I think is moral, 
we just are not seeing the world the same. And of course, my way of seeing the world is the correct one. And so yours must be the wrong one, which you could only have reached through uh, biased thinking. Hmm. So is there any hope? Because like the premise of social psychology for 100 years has been people are biased, right? Like we see the world the way we want to see it. And so there's no getting around that. And you said that you, you framed the conversation about politics, not being able to see eye to eye through perceived bias. What's what's the hopeful message there for people? Yeah, so I, I think it's twofold. One is, um, as you point out, um, we all have biases. Um, and that is just sort of a part of being human is that we're prone to biases. So of all the perceptions you have, of others, seeing them as biased is really not as bad as seeing them as dishonest or even as stupid. Um, unfortunately, when people disagree with one another, uh, we have some evidence that they not only see disagreeing others as biased, but also as dishonest or lacking expertise and stupid and dislikable. And I think those perceptions also feed um, uh, people's inability to have um, conversations when they really disagree. And so um, the fact that we have shown that people can think about, uh, can perceive others as biased without perceiving them as untrustworthy or lacking expertise or dislikable, I think is hopeful. Um, I'm interested in um, seeing if we can remind people like, hey, just because someone is biased doesn't make them dishonest. It doesn't make them an expert. It doesn't make them a bad person. Uh, and we all have biases. That's just a part of human, of being a human. So if we can separate the perceptions and remind people that biases are a part of being human, I wonder if that is a way that we can try to open up dialogue across difficult conversations. I get the impression too that in the last 50 years of research on persuasion, we've spent a ton of time thinking about how expert a source seems or about how trustworthy a source seems, but relatively little about whether we have a perception of bias. So that's my impression looking back over all the research. What's having been steeped in this a little more? Does that seem a fair characterization or how would you, how would you explain sort of the trajectory of why we care about bias more now than we did before? Yeah, so I would say that's exactly right. And that's exactly why I did this research is um, for 60 years um, in persuasion research, um, researchers have primarily cared about what makes a source credible or believable, what makes them the kind of person that you're going to believe what they have to say. And researchers have identified two factors, they need to be trustworthy or truthful and expert or knowledgeable. And the work that I've done is to try to say, well, also perceiving someone as biased can undermine their credibility in addition to these other two. And we hadn't identified that bias could undermine credibility because persuasion researchers had not really studied it. So why would that be the case? There are some things that can lead people to perceive others as both dishonest and biased, specifically 
vested interest. So when someone has a vested interest, it means they can get something out of successfully persuading you. So for example, you can think of a salesperson, if they sell you something, they get commission. And the fact that they have this vested interest might lead people to view them as dishonest, right? They might be willing to lie in order to sell you something. It might also lead people to perceive them as biased. That is, even if they are the most honest salesperson in the world, the fact that they would benefit from selling you something might motivate them to view their product especially favorably. And in fact, there's um, some psychological research suggesting that, yes, in fact, if once you own something or you want to sell something, it makes you view it more favorably than if you're not in that situation. However, you know, for 60 years, it was very common to use vested interest as a means of studying trustworthiness because it does affect dishonesty. And so researchers hadn't thought about bias as separate from untrustworthiness or dishonesty and had lumped them together. And so we have been kind of missing that piece of the puzzle. And so what my work has done is tried to show that, in fact, there are lots of times when we think someone is very trustworthy, and yet we also think of them as biased. What, just if I just backpedal a little bit, why, why all this? What, is there any, what is it about this topic that makes you interested in it? I, I like to unpeel, like, why, if it's not bias, even just like persuasion, what, I mean, you're a, you're now a dyed in the wool persuasion psychologist. <laughs> so what, what, what got you here? And was it where you thought you were going to go? Yeah, good question. So in college, I was doing um, a lot of work around sustainability issues, but also um, other social justice issues trying to address, um, you know, race and gender gaps in a variety of domains. And I was not very successful at persuading others. particularly around the work I was doing on sustainability and climate change. And I thought, boy, it would be really helpful if I knew how to uh, persuade other people better. And I found out, oh, there are, in fact, people who do empirically study persuasion. I think the perceived bias, I didn't go into grad school necessarily thinking, like, I'm going to study perceived bias, but I do think it naturally fell out of my interests because as you mentioned earlier, when people really care passionately about something, they can be perceived as biased. And I think I had lots of experiences of feeling like someone dismissed me as biased and um, that got me interested in this topic as well as persuasion more generally. Have you thought of doing any work on what it feels like to be dismissed as bias? Because I feel like that is a very, I guess it's a, an ever-present experience, but I feel like online now, when you see accusations of bias flying, we've been looking at one side of it, or yeah. really, you've been looking at one side, right? What, why are people flinging accusations of bias? But how do people react to, to being called biased? Great idea. Let's do that study. (laughs) I mean, so there is um, Kathleen Kennedy and um, Emily Pronin have some work on this spiral of conflict where they do talk about, it's a little different, but it's related where they talk about if I see you as biased, I don't think you're quite as rational. And so 
if we're in conflict, I will respond more competitively than cooperatively with you. And when I respond competitively with you, that makes you perceive me as more biased and makes you respond more competitively to me. And so then we have this nasty spiral going. You can imagine that if I think someone has just dismissed me as biased, that would play into that, where that doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy towards that other person. It makes me feel defensive. And I wonder if if we go back to trustworthiness and bias being different, if you call me untrustworthy versus if you call me biased, that it does feel a little different, right? Because in some ways, well, they both make you reflect on a different part of yourself. And and either you feel secure <laughs> that you're trustworthy or you feel secure that you're even-handed. And both of which are probably not always true for everyone. We probably all feel like we're a little less biased and more trustworthy than we actually are. Yeah, I definitely... So I also think this is a very interesting future research direction, but my own intuition is the same, that being called untrustworthy is much worse than being called biased. And in fact, I think there are times when we really ourselves want to be biased and when we want others to be biased. So if I ask my partner, do I look fat in this? I'm hoping that he sees a better version of me than might be there, right? I want him to be biased and I want him to be honest about it, right? I don't want him to lie. I just want him to view me through rose-colored glasses. I I could see that also in a political climate too, where you're like, I would love to just live in this place where everybody is all leaning in the same direction. And that I just, that would be great. Right. And I want everyone to buy into it. Like you say, I want them to be trustworthy about it. But um, I'm happy to have people lean in my direction so that I can sort of feel some validation that, no, truly, this is how the world is around me. Yep. That's right. So have you taken your uh, initial interest in public advocacy back? Like now, now that you're an expert, I think we can, you've, there are documents that say you're an expert in <laughs> psychology. <laughs> has, has this shifted any way in which you engage in public advocacy? I think to some extent, um, maybe this is an ironic effect. I think it has made me less engaged in advocacy than I used to be because I'm very concerned about being perceived as biased, and I want people to take my science seriously. Um, so I think that may be a bit of an ironic effect, but it does also, I think, make me try to be more measured when I do advocate for something. So acknowledging that there is another side, acknowledging that when I support something, Um, I understand that there are often trade-offs that come with whatever position I support. So yeah, that maybe is an ironic effect, but I think it has just made me more careful about what I'm saying publicly. Nice. Well, I think think that's the time we have together. So thanks so much for talking about bias. uh, And and we'll we'll keep in touch after this, I know. Very good. Thanks, Andy. That'll do it for this episode of Opinion Science. Thanks to Laura for coming on. And to learn more about her work, check out the show notes for a link to her website. 
For more about this show, visit OpinionSciencePodcast.com or follow us at OpinionSciPod on Twitter or Facebook. And this is officially episode 5, which, if you're keeping track, means that there are episodes 1, 2, 3, and 4 available. So go check those out if you haven't already. And, you know, while you're already on Apple Podcasts downloading the archives, might as well rate and review the show. Help people find us. Okay, uh, I've run out of things to say, so I'll be seeing you here next time. Bye-bye. 